The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Help! I need somebody. Help! Not just anybody. Help! You know I need someone. Welcome to Family Caregivers Unite with Dr. Gordon Atherley. Family caregivers don't have to be alone in their experiences. You will hear from experts and other caregivers facing the same issues that you may be facing. Now, here is your host, Dr. Gordon Atherley. Welcome to episode 136 of Family Caregivers Unite. This is Dr. Gordon Atherley, your host. Our topic today is Lyme disease challenges for family caregivers and family members. Lyme disease is a serious illness. It's caused by bacteria. The bacteria is spread by the bites of certain types of ticks. The ticks, which are very small, live in wooded areas where they pick up the bacteria when they bite mice, chipmunks or deer that are infected with Lyme disease. The ticks are picked up by humans brushing against the grass, shrubs and leaves, and the ticks bite humans, often, perhaps always, without the bite being noticed. Lyme disease is a growing risk in Canada and the US and in Europe. It's not always accurately or quickly diagnosed because the symptoms and signs are so varied. It may involve many parts of the body, including the skin, muscles, heart, nervous system, vision and sleeping, and it may at first feel like flu. So it needs to be promptly diagnosed because it can be cured with antibiotics and without proper treatment, it can be troublesomely persistent. Now, to talk about Lyme disease challenges, our guests are Jim Wilson and Janet Spurley. Jim, first of all, is president and founder of the Canadian Lyme Disease Foundation. He himself is a victim of Lyme disease, and he himself is the father of victims of Lyme disease. He's been involved in networking with Lyme victims and providing them with scientific information for over 15 years. His background in the investigation of medical malpractice and legal liability has given him insight into the medical research. And in the medical research, he found conflict of evidence and conflict of interest. And both of these, he says, are rife with the medical, within the medical industry. <clears throat> Now, Janet was trained as an entomologist, that's uh, an insect specialist as I understand it, which is when she first learned about Lyme disease. After completing a master's degree on the physiology of beetles, she took time off to raise four boys. When the oldest, in 2004, de- fell desperately ill at the age of 15, she was faced with the prospect of caring for a severely ill teenager, as well as his three younger brothers. After nine months with no clear diagnosis, she and her husband decided to explore the possibility of Lyme disease. Now, the treatment that followed the diagnosis allowed their son to return to his former good health. 
Intrigued by the challenges and complexities of the diagnosis, she now volunteers as a board member for the Canadian Lyme Disease Foundation. So, welcome to the show, Jim and Janet. Thank you. Now, Jim, I'm going to start with you first. Please tell a little bit, tell us a little bit more about your background and your involvement with Lyme disease. Uh, well, my saga started in 1991 in Nova Scotia. Uh, I had this rash which grew to about eight inches around my navel and uh, no explanation for it. I didn't see a tick or anything. Um, it stayed there for about three, four weeks and then it just faded and, and went away and I never really thought anything of it and I had never heard of Lyme disease at that point. Uh, in, over the, the following months, I began experiencing symptoms and uh, it started with numbness uh, and tingling in my legs and then uh, which, uh, unlike me, I had to sleep every couple of hours, and uh, I had been quite physically fit at the time in my uh, mid-30s, and um, it, it just, all of these odd symptoms started to collectively, over the next uh, year or so, uh, disable me, and uh, I had uh, eyesight problems, hearing problems, uh, thinking problems, um, my bowels were all messed up, uh, it affected my joints, my muscles, uh, my energy level was completely gone, uh, so it was, it was an all-encompassing illness that just sort of overwhelmed me in a period of months, and no explanation for it, and I never thought the rash had anything to do with it. I did not connect the two, and then it was several years later that uh, actually my wife uh, went to the local library to read a, up on chronic diseases because the doctors had sort of given up on me at that point, uh, and she found a book a woman had written on Lyme disease, and it was just an exact blueprint of everything I had been through, plus in there was a picture of that rash that I had had several years earlier. Uh, and that was when we started putting everything together. Right. Now, I'm going to go to Janet, and I want you to tell us, please, more about your background and your involvement with Lyme disease. Um, I had a son who, as you said, was really, really sick, and we weren't getting a lot of answers. So after we had spoken with a lot of our friends, because we have a lot of friends in the U.S., um, they kept saying, if you come up with no clear answer, you really have to start thinking about Lyme disease. And the more I looked into Lyme disease, the more I realized that the testing really isn't very good at all. And from all of the various symptoms that my son had, and with all the exposures that he'd had, it was possible that he really did have Lyme disease. So we went to the doctors and we said, okay, here's what we think. And they said, no, 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 you can't have Lyme disease. There's no way we don't have Lyme disease in Alberta. And we said, but, but the kid's been, he's just back from Australia. We've been, we lived in California for a long time. Um, he's had plenty of exposure. And it was quite remarkable that the moment you use the word Lyme disease, it's like the doctor's eyes slam shut. So this was an odd response, and then it sort of stuck with us. After we did manage to get him treated as though he had Lyme disease, and we can't prove or disprove whether this was exactly Lyme disease or something very much like it. 
But after he got better, I thought, good, we'll just go back and we'll just debrief. We'll talk with the doctors about why we feel that this was Lyme disease. And we just kept having doors slammed in our face. So after I received an email from somebody, one of the doctors who had refused to treat him for Lyme disease, and, you know, it's the danger of the old reply all, she sent this email which arrived in my box, and it said basically, I'm never going to treat another kid for Lyme disease because, uh, you know, sometimes these parents, they're talking to a so-called Lyme expert, and they demand that they get treated, you know, in a specific way. And I was so upset by this, I thought, you know, not only are they not recognizing Lyme disease when they see it, they're also refusing to recognize it. So the more people I spoke to, the more people would say, Lyme disease, yes, yes, you've got to go talk to Patrick's mom. And I go talk to Patrick's mom, she's got the same story. And then uh, I got involved with Can Lyme and Jim, and I heard exactly the same story, and I thought, you know, there's a real pattern here, and it's time to start looking for some solutions. Right. Now, I'm going to go over to Jim because you mentioned the Canadian Lyme Disease Foundation. So, Jim, why did you find it? Um, I started Can Lyme after my daughter contracted Lyme disease a decade after I had contracted it. Uh, I contracted in 91 in Nova Scotia. She contracted it here in BC in 2001. And... um, I had always been told that this was just a very rare phenomenon in Canada, and yet here's two members of one family a decade apart, uh, 4,500 kilometers apart, each contracting this so-called rare disease, and other kids at her school came down with it at the same time. So uh, that's what prompted me to, to start the Canadian Lyme Disease Foundation uh, because the the awareness, both in the public and the medical arena, was so so poor uh, that I just felt something had to be done. In other words, you became an activist. Yes. <laughs> right. Now, Janet, how did you be- come to be involved with Can Lime? You've already mentioned your involvement, but how did you come to be involved? Mostly, I think that it was this sort of feeling that after I had spoken with Patrick's mother, and I'd heard exactly the same story from Patrick's mother, and she said, oh, yes, well, you know, let's go talk to, and then we listen to the next mother. I thought, you know, this is something where I can actually make a difference, and we can see some positive change. And, you know, there are days when I sometimes wonder, I think, you know, are we getting anywhere? But I think that Jim is just a terrific guy, and he's worked really hard since 2003 so, you know, he's got the sort of situation set up. We've got a fantastic board of directors, and I really like working with them. And I just feel like this is the sort of place where I can make a big contribution. Just very quickly, back to Jim. How wide does the membership of Can Lime go? Uh, coast to coast. Uh, we're, we're not really a membership-based organization per se, but we have people calling us from right from Newfoundland to, to Vancouver Island. So it's, uh, there, there are no areas of Canada where you are entirely free of Lyme disease. Uh, basically, wherever you have robins arriving in the spring, you potentially have Lyme disease because the birds not only carry the disease in their blood to infect new ticks, but they transport the, uh, the ticks around. They're, they're an international airline for the ticks. And uh, our migratory birds, uh, most of the migratory 
pathways in, in Canada, coming into Canada, are north-south, so we're getting the birds from the endemic areas of the United States carrying infected ticks, and, uh, and then the ticks drop off in Canada, they infect the rodent population, and, and away things go. Now, I'm just going to ask Janet again very quickly. Um, what you're doing is bringing health information relating to can, uh, Lyme disease to people across the country, and I assume you're also talking about the risks of where can Lyme, Lyme disease, and all those kinds of things fit together. Is that right? Right, absolutely. And okay. we are always saying you've got to go and talk to your doctor because often the doctors in Canada don't have Lyme disease on the radar. So they're not thinking about Lyme disease. And when you come in and you've got a whole bunch of really complicated symptoms and they're covering all sorts of organs and the doctor's kind of, their, their head is spinning. If you can say, could we look at this diagnosis? Let's see if this might be Lyme disease. So in that sense, we, you know, we insist that you work with your doctor or, you know, some people are working with naturopaths, but you need to work with your healthcare provider and between the two of you, or often it's a team approach, but, you know, um, amongst you, you can start to say, you know, this is something that we really need to explore. We need to find out more about this. Right. Now, at that point, we're going to go into the break. This is where we pay the rent. This is Dr. Gordon Adley, and my guests are Jim Wilson and Janet Sperling. You're listening to Family Caregivers Unite on the Voice America Variety Channel. Please stay with us. We will be back. Stay connected. Sign up for our newsletter. Go beyond your favorite Voice America shows. Visit iradioblog.com. Have you ever wanted to ask a direct question to a private investigator? If so, you'll want to listen for the Private Eye Nightline with private investigator John Siakio. John and his guest experts will answer your questions about infidelity, drug issues, custody, restraining orders, and more. Sometimes there are sensitive issues involving a family member or other loved one. We're here to help. The Private Eye Nightline is broadcast live every Wednesday at 8 p.m. Eastern Time, 5 p.m. Pacific on the Voice America Variety Channel. Do you find yourself tearing pictures of rooms out of magazines? Do you watch certain movies and TV programs because of the homes they show? Are Sundays reserved for open houses? Then you are a home dreamer. And someday, you will build or renovate your dream home. Steve Clip has spent three decades learning how to win at the dream home game. His show, Winning the Dream Home Race, can be heard every Thursday at 8 p.m. Eastern Time, 5 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Let Steve Clip help save you money and make you a winner. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. You are listening to Family Caregivers Unite with Dr. Gordon Atherley. If you have any questions or comments about our program, please address them by email to docg at familycaregiversunite.org. Now, back to Family Caregivers Unite. Welcome back to our listeners to Family Caregivers Unite, Jim Wilson and Janet Sperling. Our topic is Lyme disease challenges for family caregivers and family members. Now, let's talk 
about the challenges that Lyme disease creates. Starting with you, Jim, what are the most difficult challenges that Lyme disease creates for children and adults who are infected with it? Well, um, it's kind of a, a double-edged sword because you 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 have the limitations the illness itself imposes on you physically, uh, and there's quite a range of, of symptoms that can be quite uh, uh, mild in some uh, to totally disabling in, in others, and we're not sure exactly why that is maybe there's different strains of the bacteria that are that are making that um so different um but n not only then do you have the the physical uh, disability this imposes on you uh, including the 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 mental disability that comes with it but you also then have this great wall uh and a battle on your hands trying to get anybody in the standard medical community to take you seriously. Uh, too typically, uh, it's just, oh, well, we either don't have Lyme or we'll just give you this, this test and, and that'll do it. And so they give us the test and the test comes back negative. Therefore, end of story. Uh, they, they won't go any further. Uh, yet there's all kinds of tools out there available uh, using uh, today's current technology uh, where we could be exploring that better. So the, the disability is one aspect of the disease, and then the, the fight that you have to go through, and quite often the patients themselves need a healthy advocate to do that fight for them because uh, they're unable to. Thanks. Janet, straight over to you. The most difficult challenges uh, that Lyme disease creates for the family caregivers and the families of children and adults infected. In other words, it's carrying straight on from what Jim was saying. Janet? Right, right. And I would say that, you know, if we could have a blood test that would actually show whether you have Lyme disease or not, it would be much easier for the caregiver. Because what happens is that you go in and you think, okay, well, maybe this is Lyme disease. And I've got all these reasons why I think it might be Lyme disease. And you go to the doctor and the doctor says, well, yes, I see that, you know, perhaps, you know, numbers one through five would indicate Lyme disease. But the blood test says no. So unfortunately, as a caregiver, you're then faced with this disbelief. And when the doctor is disbelieving, you start to second guess yourself. And the more you start second guessing yourself, you know, the worse it gets. So then you start thinking, oh dear, well maybe it isn't Lyme disease. And maybe I'm, you know, creating a situation where now the poor patient feels that it ought to be Lyme disease. So this becomes terribly complicated. And if we had a good blood test, we could solve a whole lot of things. And so one of the difficulties is that when you go to the doctor and you say, I have, for example, in the one case, a positive PCR from the Czech Republic. Now, I would look at this and I would say, oh, well, now here, if the Czech Republic says it's a positive, it's good enough for me. But somehow we have this kind of garrison mentality and people keep saying, oh, well, how do we know it was a real lab? And I, I think that's really quite, um, this whole disbelief is really damaging. And especially as a caregiver, it puts you in a really awkward position and you don't know how far to push. Jim, let, let me go to you with that challenge that Jan has just been talking about, and that is this reluctance on the part of the medical profession, what was my profession, to go beyond 
the idea of the blood test which is negative. That is to say, there's a negative blood test, so therefore case is closed. Yet, as Janet's been saying, there may be other tests in other places that tell a different story. So please share with us some insight into those difficulties that, that, that are created for family caregivers, for people they're caring for, and for the healthcare system. Yeah, it it is uh, challenging to because the testing is poor, and so what would be better, I think, is if our doctors would uh, would educate themselves, take some time, read some of the literature. Uh, they'll they'll not have to read too long to find that the uh, standard screening test is not really that uh, that accurate. Um, some studies have found it uh, only accurate uh, in 45% of the cases, um, some more, some less. So it's sort of all over the map. And, and again, that may very much have to do with uh, the fact that the standard tests are only testing for one strain of the bacteria. So, and we know we have multiple strains. So if the doctors could just educate themselves uh, with a relatively short period of, of doing some background reading, then I think they would be more comfortable making the clinical diagnosis, which is exactly what it is, because there is no 100% test. Even, even using all of the current technology, we still don't have uh, a 100% test. There still are far too many false negative results coming up. But there are better tests, and I think if one uh, was to do three or four of the types of tests that are out there uh, looking for that objective result, then then you can put the information together. And I think we should be doing three or four tests, not just one screening test. Um, really what you're trying to do is find uh, some objective evidence uh, that would explain the patient sitting across from the doctor and all of the multiple symptoms that he has. And so the exploration shouldn't be limited to just one test. And I think if we could just change that attitude in the medical community uh, and really imprint that this is a clinical diagnosis, um, then I think everybody's going to get uh, get along better because the, the the expense, the cost of not diagnosing this disease properly to not only the family in terms of, of hardship and, and quite often the loss of income, um, but it's the cost of the system because each of us, while we're undergoing these years or, or months or weeks of disability, uh, we're out there seeking medical attention because we're sick and we want to get better. So there's tens of thousands of dollars on each individual patient being uh, expended on uh, multiple types of tests. You're getting MRIs and CAT scans and various blood tests and, and uh, multiple, multiple uh, doctor's visits and specialist visits. And, and uh, so it's sort of, be, you become a revolving door patient. And I think if we were to just get it across to the medical community that if we invested more upfront as far as uh, spending money doing more uh, types of testing, uh, then we could be saving um, 
you know, 10 or 20-fold that uh, by, by eliminating that long-term of disability. Got it. Janet, let's talk about treatment now. Um, you've both been stressing the importance of making a diagnosis so that treatment can be delivered. But please outline to us the way the treatment works, what treatment it is, and what the challenges are involved in the actual treatment of Lyme disease. Janet, please. Sure. So for the treatment, it's antibiotic, and so it's generally pretty straightforward. You know, you have to be careful that you reduce the amount of sugar that you have in your diet. Uh, you know, in the case of my son, we did a lot of yogurt. You know, you want to try to do probiotics as well as antibiotics. So there's this sort of small dietary constraint. But I would say the biggest problem is not so much the treatment as knowing how much is enough. Because you get to a point where you think, oh, they're looking much better. You can see all sorts of positive signs. And you think, well, maybe that's enough. But unfortunately, one of the things we have discovered with Lyme disease is that that often is not enough. You will get better, and there'll be kind of a nice little upswing, but it's not enough to keep you better. So then over weeks and months, you get worse again. So you need to have somebody who's going to be pretty aggressive, and it takes months as opposed to just, like, two weeks of antibiotics. I would be really surprised if that was enough to, to cure anybody. So you have to keep an eye on this. You have to be committed to a long-term treatment. It's not a quick treatment. And you have to kind of keep your eye on the fact that you want them to get better and stay better. So that means you have to, yeah, you have to develop a kind of relationship with your doctor where you can say, okay, these are the reasons that I think they're really looking much better. Can we please keep going? Right. In other words, let me ask you this straight question. How well, in your experience, do doctors understand the need for the continuing treatment that just because somebody feels better doesn't mean to say that the uh, treatment can be stopped. How much of a challenge is that uh, as far as physicians understanding goes in your experience? I, I would say it's actually a huge challenge because doctors are really constrained and we all understand that we don't want the world to be covered in antibiotics. We all, you know, we want the antibiotics out of the cow meat and, and we don't want everybody just to rush in and say every time they're sick we want antibiotics. But when we do find somebody who's been terribly sick and they are responding positively to the antibiotics, that's exactly the kind of person that we want to continue. Because if we can get them better and they can stay better, they can go back to work, they can pick up the pieces of their lives, and they can carry on. And I think it's the length of treatment is probably one of the biggest issues. A lot of doctors will give you 10 days of antibiotics, they'll give you two weeks of antibiotics, but it's you know, we're talking about longer than that for Lyme disease. As a very quick word, how long are we talking about? Months? Uh, sure. My, my son had nine months. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it can be months. It could be, in some cases, longer than a year. Uh, it really depends on the individual and how they're responding. Uh, also, um, frequently, even after uh, being on antibiotics for quite some time and, and, and feeling like you've recovered, uh, you stop taking the antibiotics and within a period of time, you relapse just right. as fully as though you'd never been on the antibiotics at all. So it's important to know that you can retreat too. And okay. that you Jim, I'm going to have to stop you because it's the tyranny of timing. So on that point, we're going to take the short break. 
This is Dr. Gordon Adley and my guests are Jim Wilson and Janet Sperling. You're listening to Family Caregivers Unite on the Voice of America Variety Channel. Stay tuned. We're coming back. Now you don't have to stay linked to your desktop or laptop. Take Voice America on the go and listen anywhere. Get our mobile app for iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android at the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. How has your belief system been formed? Has it been based on others telling you what to believe? Do you desire to make changes in your life that you know will bring you deeper fulfillment? Tune in to The Ripple Effect with Katherine Cloward for your weekly dose of inspiration and encouragement. Whether it be in your business, personal relationships, or family life, this show will help you recognize and trust your intuitive knowing. Catherine and her guests will help inspire you to make fulfilling choices for your life. The Ripple Effect is heard live every Thursday at noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern, on Voice America Variety. Nine different energy systems make up the energy body. Energy is all around us and connects us. Energy exerts a major control over our biology and is a big reason why you should be tuning in to energy medicine and optimal health with your host, Dr. Ann Deatley. We'll explore energy balance techniques, tips, and patterns to keep your flow of energy optimal to maintain maximal health. By adopting these techniques, you will keep your energy body and physical body in harmony. Listen for Energy Medicine and Optimal Health, Mondays at 7 p.m. Eastern Time, 4 p.m. Pacific Time, on Voice America Health & Wellness. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com You are listening to Family Caregivers Unite with Dr. Gordon Atherley. If you have any questions or comments about our program, please address them by email to docg at familycaregiversunite.org. Now, back to Family Caregivers Unite. Welcome back to our listeners to Family Caregivers Unite. Jim Wilson and Janet Sperling. Our topic is Lyme disease challenges for family caregivers and family members. Now let's talk about services and solutions. So Jim, starting off with you, what are the most important things that families, family caregivers and family members should know about Lyme disease and where can they find more information? Uh, Well, there's um, I think the, one of the most important things for a caregiver to understand is that um, the the person with Lyme disease is going to have some some better days than others. So they'll look like they can do more on one day, and then the next day they're just completely unable to do anything. And it quite often looks to the uh, to the caregiver as though they may just be uh, almost faking it but believe me it is absolutely overwhelming when when your symptoms sort of gang up on you and just knock you flat and you never know when that's going to happen and and you can have those real bad periods last for hours days or sometimes weeks uh, before you come into another better session so it's important for the caregiver to always 
remind themselves that uh, that this really is uh, an energy sapping disease, and it also can can make people uh, 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 grumpy. It, it you can react uh, inappropriately, and and this is actually part of the 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 damage it's done to the brain. It changes your, your the way your your brain functions, and uh, uh, so you can get angry easier. You, you, there's there's all kinds of uh, little nuances about the disease that that make it difficult for the caregivers because uh, not only are they typically burdened with uh, perhaps having to take an extra job or, or uh, picking up for the person around the house more, um, but they have to try and comprehend this crazy-looking illness that, that comes and goes, and uh, and it, it's extremely hard on the caregiver, and, and I think doctors have got to realize that, too. Uh, the patient can look quite healthy, uh, but just not be able to get out of bed at all. Um, so so it's it's important to know that there is that side to the, to the illness and that the patients, they need that voice and that advocate to, to explain that to the physicians and, and where, they, where else they may need to, to explain that. Right. Going to come back to that point because it's a key one. Now, Janet, one of the most important things that families, family caregivers and family members should know about the ways and places in which Lyme, is, Lyme disease is caused and where can they find more information about the ways and places of the causation of Lyme disease. Janet? Sure. Lyme disease is anywhere in Canada. Basically, you can't say that you can only get it in Long Point, Ontario. The other thing to keep in mind is that people rarely stay, you know, if, if you grow up in Edmonton, you often, you go to BC and you go camping in BC and you go to Ontario and you visit relatives. So, if you feel that you have any reason that you could have been exposed, then you have to believe that you really have been exposed. Lyme disease is a possibility, and it has to go onto the list of possible explanations for why people are sick. And right. the first thing I would say is that when you, you're looking for further information and you want to know, uh, you know, should I continue to follow up on this, I would say go straight to www.canlimes.org. And we try to put up a whole lot of information. You can start getting a feeling for, you know, whether you would fit into this set of symptoms and try to keep following up. But at the same time, you know, do communicate with your doctor and say, this is something that I want to follow up on so that then your doctor can also go and start finding out more information. So that it's one of these things, you know, it really has to be a two-way street. A Lyme diagnosis is not as easy as the doctor just saying yes or no. You have to kind of keep coming back to it and then go and follow up on other things, certainly. But when you think that there's a possibility, keep going with that. Janet, I just want a quick supplementary on this. We're talking about Canada, but we also um, are talking to people in the United States. Is Lyme disease, does it happen in the U.S.? Is the situation similar? Absolutely. Yeah, we, we often like to think that the Americans are one step ahead of us, but in some situations they aren't. And I'm afraid that if you live... In the Northeast, yes. And if you live in the Midwest, you're probably going to get early treatment. But I do know that in many of the other U.S. states, you're not getting treated. It's a really sad situation. Now, some of these people might have something similar to Lyme disease. 
and that's fine. Maybe this is a Lyme-like illness, but we know that it responds to the treatment for Lyme disease, which is really what matters. From the point of view of the patient, sometimes there's just too much emphasis on getting the exact diagnosis when, you know, basically we're looking for a ballpark diagnosis. And if we know that the diagnosis would fit, then maybe we need to make a little, uh, you know, try a trial of treatment. And if the patient gets better, fine. Right. Now, in making a diagnosis, as everybody knows, what the doctors call the history is very important. And that really comes down to uh, questions being asked in two directions. So, Jim, what are the questions that family caregivers worried about the possibility of Lyme disease in a family member should ask their doctors, their healthcare providers? What are the questions they should ask? And what's the information that they should be ready to provide when they're asking their questions? Jim? Well, I think the uh, the caregiver, when asking about testing, uh, really um, stress um, that you've heard or you've read that the testing is not that terribly accurate and that there can be false negative results. And and you can perhaps bring in for, there's lots of information on canlime.org or, or other websites out there showing that the testing is, is not accurate. Uh, so there are there is research that, that you, you can provide the, uh, to, to the doctor uh, to make their job easier. Not all doctors are, are receptive to the patient bringing in research. Um, and quite frequently that creates a little bit of uh, unpleasantness in the relationship between the doctor and the patient. But uh, I still think it, it's got to be done because there are, there are good research papers out there. And the same with the, the treatment aspect of it. Um, there's uh, research done on mice, dogs, horses, and the rhesus monkey showing that um, even after uh, three months of antibiotics, they're still able to um, recover live spirochetes out of the tissue. Um, so it's there's research out there that, that shows us that perhaps the longer term beyond three months is what's really needed. And, and uh, I think the evidence speaks for itself because so many people are getting their lives back after weeks, months, or even in many cases years of, of total disability uh, only after they get this long treatment period. So I think being armed with the information is, is going to help the patient and the caregiver get their point across um, quicker that uh, perhaps longer-term antibiotics are required. And right. Lyme disease isn't the only disease that's, uh, that they use long-term antibiotics for. So I, quite, quite right. Now, I'm just going to in, intrude in my rude way because I want to ask Janet um, a question about questions that family caregivers who are worried about the possibility of Lyme disease in an area... What are the questions they should ask? And who should they ask uh, the questions to? Or where can they get the information? In other words, I'm thinking of camping somewhere. Um, I'm, I've been listening to this program, and I'm wondering you know, whether I should check up on what 
the risk is in the particular area. Janet, what do you think? Where do you go? Where's the information? Well, uh, you can go online, and public health units often will be able to tell you where there is an area of higher risk. But I think that the important thing is that we're really stressing, we want you to go camping, and we want you to go out and be healthy with your family and do all these right things. But the problem is that if you end up sick and you're not getting any good answers, that's when you need to say, you know, I was in a place that has a risk of Lyme disease, so that's why we have to follow up with that. And so I think it's, it's most important, like even when we lived in California, we knew that there were certain months that you were particularly careful when you went for a walk, and we knew that you walked in the middle of the path, and we knew that um, it was something you always had to keep in the back of your mind. So if you had any reason to think it was Lyme disease, you had to go straight to the doctor. So I think that's really the way to, to do it. I mean, there's a lot of things out there. So when you're worried about pinning something down to an area of endemicity, is what we call it, an area where we know you have Lyme disease, that's constantly changing. And the world's a very big place. And so I am not really comfortable pinning an exact area where you could be exposed to the diagnosis. Because I think that everybody, I mean, if you're in the whole of North America, you do carry a risk. And the same as Europe, you do carry a risk of being exposed to Lyme disease. So that's not really the thing that carries the disease. Now, I'm going to ask you, Janet, just a quick question. You know, we're all used to bug repellents and mosquito sprays and that kind of thing. Are there any sprays or ointments or anything of that nature that can help protect us against these ticks and their right. bites? I, yeah, as far as I'm aware, the only things that are really shown to work over any sort of extended lengths of time are the synthetics like DEET. And the problem there with DEET is, of course, you don't want to throw that around all the time either. So I would say that if you can wear something cool, like it's a cotton cool thing, you could wear long sleeves and long pants, tuck your socks into your pants, and then put the DEET and everything onto the clothing so that you aren't putting that much DEET on your skin. The other thing to keep in mind is that the ticks, unlike mosquitoes, ticks walk around on you before they bite. So as you're walking and you walk down the path, if you get your friend who's walking behind you to kind of keep an eye, and especially if you're wearing light colored clothing, you say, uh-oh, you got a tick, and then you wipe it off right away. And the other thing, when you get in the house after your walk, take your clothes off, hang them over the back of a chair in the back porch. Don't bring them into the house. So there's all these things that you can certainly do, and yet, you know, keep in mind you probably will get exposed to a tick bite. At some point, it's going to happen. Right, but it doesn't mean to say that automatically you're going to get Lyme disease, though, does it? Yeah. Right. Okay, now, it is time again for us to take the break, and I think this is a good moment to do it. So let's take the break. This is Dr. Gordon Atherley. My guests are Jim Wilson and Janet Sperling. You're listening to Family Caregivers Unite on the Voice America Variety Channel. Stay tuned. Coming back. Think you've seen everything there is to see in online television? Let us surprise you. Visit voiceamerica.tv today for sports, health, business, and more on demand 24-7. 
These days, everyone is looking for information on staying young, healthy, and fit. The Voice America Health and Wellness Network is here to help you on your quest to better health and a better you. We talk about everything from diet, fitness, and aging to substance abuse, personal growth, mental health, and much more. Learn from our experts who cover health and wellness from traditional and holistic perspectives. Tune in to the Voice America Health and Wellness Network. Healthy living starts here. A divorce can break your heart, but it doesn't have to break the bank or ruin your life. Join Lori Grover for A Divorce You Can Live With and discover the benefits divorce mediation offers over aggressive, dueling attorneys. Lori and her guests will show you how you can make your divorce faster, healthier, and much less expensive. She'll also be sharing the ways she helps couples settle money and parenting issues fairly and the pitfalls of using the legal system to wage financial and emotional war. A Divorce You Can Live With airs live every Monday at 9 a.m. Eastern, 6 a.m. Pacific on Voice America Variety. Stimulating talk gets those synapses in your brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one Internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com You are listening to Family Caregivers Unite with Dr. Gordon Atherley. If you have any questions or comments about our program, please address them by email to docg at familycaregiversunite.org. Now, back to Family Caregivers Unite. Welcome back to our listeners to Family Caregivers Unite and Jim Wilson and Janet Sperling. Our topic is Lyme Disease Challenges for Family Caregivers and Family Members. Now, we've heard that Lyme disease presents serious challenges in all kinds of ways. So let's identify the responses you would like to see and the messages you would like to share. So starting with you, Jim, please. What are the responses to the challenges that you would like to see from the healthcare system? Uh, well, I would certainly like to see um, more education uh, uh, on for physicians, uh, there should be um, uh, cer- certainly uh, courses uh, in the curriculum of the new doctors have to be updated to include all of the current material. Uh, we're, we're still getting even young doctors coming out of medical school um, telling patients that uh, Lyme disease is rare. And, uh, and that it's uh, easily treated with uh, two weeks of antibiotics. I just had this conversation uh, yesterday with a person uh, who's a very young new doctor, uh, quite happily prescribed him two weeks of antibiotics for an infection that uh, was probably in excess of a year old. Um, so it would be quite a disseminated uh, Lyme infection, and two weeks of antibiotics are just not going to cut it. And the research is very evident that it's not. And um, so I think from the medical pers- profession point of view, they have got to do a much better job on getting the uh, research to the doctors so the doctors can see for themselves that uh, perhaps the treatment recommendations they're providing aren't quite cutting the mustard. Right. Jana, just let me kind of finish this particular question to you to shape it a little bit. What are the responses to the challenges you would like to see from governments and their public health departments? And if you want to include physicians in that answer, do so. Okay. Mostly what I wanted to say is that 
we're looking for a national strategy. And one of the important things is that we need to make sure that the victims themselves are being represented. Because what's happened right now, I think, is that there's all these doctors sitting around there. They've got a very strong idea about exactly what Lyme disease is. And they've drawn a very black line around a box. And they say either you are in or out of that box. But we're saying no, that, that Lyme disease is a broader definition. There's various strains of Lyme disease. There's various other bacteria that often come along with the Lyme disease. And what we need is we need the victims to actually get in there and say, no, please, let's broaden our perspective. We need a broader perspective. We need to have people representing the vets, for example. Dogs are also exposed to Lyme disease. We find that the vets often have a different perspective on both testing and treatment. We need to have the actual pure research scientists involved, the people who are in there looking at, uh, like, for example, the genetics of Lyme disease. It's a very strange bacterium. It's a very unusual bacterium. So we need to have a lot of different people all coming to some conclusion, trying to help the patient. And we know that everybody really does have the patient's best interest at heart, but sometimes this kind of gets lost. You know, if you're talking to the same people all the time, you're getting only one perspective. So I would say we really need to have uh, a greater number of voices at the table. Right. Now, different, different question, but it's all to do with um, a kind of activism, which I think uh, you're emphasizing quietly the need for. So, Jim, first of all, what's your message for family caregivers? The message is to be persistent, uh, do your homework, and don't allow yourself to be um, bullied by the medical community. Um, you know, there's there's a tendency for people to um, just back down from an argument or, or a position. Um, when it when it involves their physician, and I think with a disease like this, the caregivers are going to have to buck up and and be firm that the, the material that they're finding is 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 accurate. That's showing that it's a clinical diagnosis. It's uh, that you can't rely on that piece of paper saying that that that's a, a negative result. Uh, to eliminate the disease altogether because there's just too many false negatives out there. You can't be bound by a uh, an in-the-box uh, written guideline that says three weeks of antibiotics or two weeks of antibiotics and you're magically cured. It just isn't that way. This is not a disease that we should be putting finite guidelines together on right now. Uh, it's also a disease that we should be doing far much more live subject and post-mortem uh, human pathology. I mean, we've got some great tools today in various types of uh, PCR testing and uh, all of the uh, histopathology. Uh, there's, there's so much more that we could be doing, and we've got to get aggressive about these chronic diseases that are plaguing uh, North America. I mean, just in Canada, the 2010 public health uh, census revealed that we now have over 2 million people in Canada with uh, diseases of unknown origin, and that includes many of those that, that are people with Lyme disease have been previously diagnosed with, like multiple right. sclerosis.
atherosclerosis or Parkinson's, uh, Alzheimer's. Jim, Jim, I'm going to stop you there because I want to give Janet her, her um, wrote, cut at this particular question. What's your message for family caregivers, Janet, please? Sure, my message is that the world is full of really wonderful and helpful people. And you have to try to keep that in mind. And after your worst day when you're just shattered and you're sitting there in your house and you're shaking and you're thinking, I can't carry on, you need to, to remember that there are far more people who want to be helpful. They just don't know how to be helpful. So keep asking questions. Be persistent. It's important that you're assertive, not aggressive. Aggressive doesn't carry, but assertive is good. So keep asking people. And when you're out at uh, the grocery store, if you run into somebody and they ask how you're doing, actually tell them, let them know. And also keep in mind the other siblings. And I feel very strongly that with, when you've got one person in the family who's really sick, that's not the majority of the family. And you have to keep the other kids happy too. I mean, it's their childhood. I don't want them thinking that they didn't have, they weren't able to do all the other wonderful things. So you have to sort of trust when you're, you know, that you're overwhelmed, then trust the other people around you. And they say, hey, you know, let me take your kid out for an afternoon. And then that's wonderful. And I think it's important for the kids who aren't sick to go out and do wonderful things with wonderful people and try to keep your perspective. So that when people would say to me, they'd chatter on about how well their kids were doing, and then they'd stop and they'd say, oh, that's terrible. I shouldn't say that. I would always say, no, I need to hear this. I need to know that I'm not living the reality. Right now, I'm living in this weird, altered universe. The reality is that the people are wonderful, and they are trying to help. So you just try to to help yourself think that so that when you get up in the morning, you say, okay, it's a new day. Today, maybe I'm going to talk to somebody, and maybe somebody's going to come up with the answer. Right. Now, I'm going to feed back to you. something that is very strong, and that is this, that more and more healthcare systems in Canada, in the US, and in Europe are looking to family caregivers to, I would say, subsidize the healthcare system because it's very expensive to have people in in hospitals uh, going through all kinds of care. So family caregivers are becoming more and more important. And what Jim and Janet and the Canadian Lyme Disease Foundation are doing is to increase the volume of the voice of family caregivers struggling with uh, a disease that isn't properly understood, that sometimes is brushed aside, uh, at least the diagnosis is brushed aside, and people who are the ones who go home and have to look after their families in the way that you've both been talking about. So I would say to you, with CanLime, that is the foundation. Keep it up. Keep going to doctors with printouts or encourage people who are worried about Lyme disease to take the printouts to show the URL of the foundation because this way family caregivers are not just delivering care but they're actually delivering help to the healthcare system because they are doing the research which is what you both have been doing so i want to say keep up the good work because it's more than good work it's vital 
Now, unfortunately, we've come to the time when we have to close this particular episode, so I want to say thank you to our listeners. We'd like to hear your comments on this episode. And I want to say a special thank you to Jim and Janet for sharing with us your experience, your insights, and your advice, and also your feelings, your sense of purpose, your sense of understanding. So every success to you both and everybody that's working with you in your work. Now, from our listeners, I'd also like to hear from you about ideas for topics along the lines of this one and others, or if you're interested in being a guest on the show. In our next episode, we'll talk about priorities for Alzheimer's disease. So please join us, same time, same spot on the Internet. Talk to you then. Thank you again for joining us this week for Family Caregivers Unite with your host, Dr. Gordon Atherley. Please tune in again next Tuesday at 10 a.m. Pacific Time, 1 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. And until then, we hope our program will help make the coming week easier and more hopeful. And I do appreciate you being around. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. 